BBOR Black Box Online Radio, coming to you from West Virginia, Black Box Nerd 88 on Instagram, for the bonus podcast. And welcome to this special bonus episode of Black Box Online Radio. In the future, I'm hoping to add a fourth segment to the weekly schedule that will be more or less a regular true crime talk radio segment where many different subjects are discussed and going through news articles and responding to them, playing the video and audio clips and also giving responses. So this is just a preview for the future, and as you see, this is reminiscent of the style that was done in the early parts of 2020. However, I'm definitely going to be keeping the regular Zodiac Mondays, the AMA, and the Anything Goes Friday segments. But there will be many things going on this summer. So if you haven't subscribed to this channel yet, now is a great time to do that. And if you like what you hear, you can always hit the like button, share with your friends and family on social media, anybody who's into true crime or is just curious about different ideas. If this is the first episode that you've ever clicked on and ever checked out on the channel, then there's a regular segment that comes out on Mondays about the Zodiac Killer. And on... Next Monday will be the conclusion of the book discussion, Zodiac Killer Just the Facts, which is the assembly and compilation of the police reports that was put out by Tom Voigt, and we will be discussing the murder of Paul Stein, which occurred on October 11th of 1969. To talk about the Zodiac Killer for just a second, I was planning on doing a new book discussion either on Micro Deli's The Hunt for Zodiac or Mark Hewitt's Profiled, because a lot of people had been recommending Micro Deli's book, or they just wanted to hear more about Micro Deli's insights into the Zodiac Killer suspect Shell Cavale. Micro Deli is no fan of mine, and he openly despised the episodes that I put out about Shell Cavale and looking through some of the news coverage that other people were saying about Rodelli's comments, as opposed to um, actually going through the book itself. But I simply do not think that Shel Cavale was the Zodiac Killer, and I took a very strong um, disagreement. And the other one that I was looking at was profiled by Mark Hewitt to talk more about the psychological aspects of the Zodiac Killer mystery. But both of those books had to go on hold when I was contacted by Michael Cole, who was the author of the Zodiac Revisited Trilogy, and he sent me a copy of his book, The Zodiac Revisited, Volume 2, and I'll be talking all about that tomorrow, as well as my correspondences and discussions with Michael Cole, and that will be the subject of tomorrow's AMA on The Zodiac Revisited. So you can, once again, subscribe so you can follow along with these. But because this is just an open discussion, I've also been covering some of the news articles, some of the short writings, and of course podcasts and documentaries about the Kennedy assassination recently. And as you can see, the Kennedy assassination evolves into a whole host of other true crime issues, particularly the murder of Lee Harvey Oswald. And it was quite odd when I first heard about that. It was actually from Mae Brussel, who talked about not only being a Kennedy assassination buff, but heavily investigating the murder of Lee Harvey Oswald. Of course, we know who Oswald was. He is taught in high school history classes as the man who shot John F. Kennedy. That is heavily disputed by numerous people. But I don't think anyone ever once said 
he was murdered. Instead, they say he's shot by some guy named Jack Ruby, who may have been a product of the CIA's MKUltra program, and he got the same psychiatrist working with Jack Ruby as this, uh, who was operating the free clinic in San Francisco that Charles Manson could have attended, as well as a host of other psychological experiments through MKUltra, psychological warfare and all that. And that was something that was heavily discussed in the early parts of 2020. And I am very skeptical of how these connections could be um, discussed, but I'll say some more about MKUltra in a second, because I would like to talk about the murder of John F. Kennedy and the murder of Lee Harvey Oswald. And I do have to emphasize that. When they talk about Lee Harvey Oswald being killed, they just say he was shot. Not everybody says that he was murdered. Giving a shout-out to Pedro Fernandez, who shared a website with me called harveyandlee.net, and this looks at the possibility that Harvey Oswald and Lee Oswald were two different people. And I know it's totally mind-blowing, but I would like to read some from this article here one more time. Harveyandlee.net is the source of this. John Armstrong began investigating Lee Harvey Oswald about 30 years ago in the early 1990s. He soon realized that there were many, many discrepancies concerning Oswald's height, weight, eye color, scars, medical records, school records, military records, photographs, etc. For example, the WC said that Oswald was placed in the youth house in New York City for truancy in 1953, but a quick look at Oswald's school records for the spring semester of 1953 shows that he attended PS44 in New York City full-time with very few absences. The WC published Oswald's New York City school records from PS44 for the entire fall semester of 1953. The WC also published a school record that showed that Oswald attended Beauregard Junior High School in New Orleans at the same time. During the entire fall semester, John Armstrong discovered that the during the entire decade between 1953 and 1963, a vast number of overlapping documents and photographs expose the activities of two different young men, one using the name Lee Harvey Oswald, and another using the name Harvey Oswald. Following are the exact examples, and they have uh, two columns here. One says Lee Oswald, and the other says Harvey Oswald. And um, in case you didn't catch that, it's almost as if the government, the CIA, some element of some sort of mischievous and conspiratorial behavior is trying to make people think that these two individuals, Lee Oswald and Harvey Oswald, are the same person. Lee Oswald was at public school PS44 uh, in 1953. Lee Oswald went to New Orleans in 1954. Spring of 55, he was at Beauregard Junior High School. Lee's mother was living at 3830 West 6th Street in Florida, in 1956. Harvey Oswald, the other one, was attending Beauregard Junior High School in New Orleans at the time that Lee Oswald should have been in New York. Harvey and Marguerite Oswald's imposter lived at 126 Exchange Street in New Orleans. Harvey is working full-time at Dolly Shoe and was fired by Louis Marziel. And that is in the spring of 1955, when Lee Oswald should have been at Beauregard Junior High School. Harvey, Robert, and Marguerite Oswald are living at 
4936 Collinwood, and that's by this by by 1956 when Lee Oswald was living at 3830 West 6th Street in Fort Worth, Texas. So um this is one of the wilder theories out there, but I do have to confess that crazier things have happened. I'm not saying that this website, harveyandlee.net, is completely correct about everything, but it definitely caught my eye and it definitely caught my attention. And the Kennedy assassination was reported by one of those um, countdown sites to be the most um, outrageous conspiracy theory of all time, or just that what actually happened behind the, the Kennedy assassination. I remember watching it. It was like top 10 darkest conspiracy theories out there. Do you remember like when those countdown sites were really popular? Maybe they still are, and I just gravitated away from them. But I thought they were going to say 9-11, that 9-11 truth, or that something happened in the shadows of 9-11 that we don't know about was going to be the... Um, biggest conspiracy theory of all time, but instead they said it's the Kennedy assassination, and I think it's because of reasons like this. It's because of the way that people are able to um, formulate these theories. Firstly, that Lee Harvey Oswald was um, even a single person, and now it appears that there's a Lee Oswald and a Harvey Oswald, and that they are being uh, merged into one, or that the records of them are well, there's, it seems like there are two people, or that one person can't be in two places at the same time, so then that is the explanation that has been provided. And um, I will hopefully talk more about the Kennedy assassination in the future. I said that I wanted to talk about MK Ultra for a while, and perhaps I'll say some of this on Friday's episode, because giving a shout-out to Chad, who sent me um, a link which uh, provided a copy of the book, Will You Die For Me?, which is... The story of Tex Watson, Charles Manson's right-hand man, who is the biggest participant of the Tate-LaBianca murders back in 1969, the Manson family killings. They're not actually committed by Charles Manson. They're mostly committed by Tex Watson. And I was reading online about how in Tex Watson's book that he says that Susan Atkins, perhaps the most notorious and ridiculous female member of the Manson family said that she didn't actually participate in the murder of Sharon Tate, the most famous victim from the Tate-LaBianca murders. Instead, Tex Watson was solely responsible, and that's one of Tex Watson's only confessions, or that um, maybe he would say Susan Atkins held her down and she would definitely be found guilty of murder. I'm not saying she's innocent, but who actually participated in the stabbing, Tex Watson says he did it all himself, and I wanted to go through the book on my own and find out what exactly is he going to say about this. This book was also heavily recommended by Brian Davis, who hosts the Tate LaBianca radio program, and over the weekend I was going through some more episodes, and I'll share a lot more about that on the Friday segment. But talking about the um, MK Ultra angle, how you have the same psychiatrist with Jack Ruby in Texas, as well as working the Haight-Ashbury Free Clinic, which Charles Manson may have attended, and then you have um, this same guy, Jolly West, Dr. Jolly West, is connected to MK Ultra. Brian Davis, the host of the Tate LaBianca radio program, wanted to throw a giant wrench into that theory, saying, before you say that there is any type of MK Ultra conspiracy theory behind 
the murder of Lee Harvey Oswald, or what he's actually talking about, the Tate-LaBianca murders. These experiments that they're doing with LSD at the Free Clinic in Haight-Ashbury could not be what, the, what people are talking about. And you can take this for what you want. I would love to hear anybody's response to this in the comments section down below. Or read them. I always say that. Hear your response. And I want to read your responses in the comments section down below. And you can always contact me privately at blackboxonlineradio at aol.com. Link in the description box. But they say that this is something that Brian Davis shared. When people are doing experiments, they don't just throw them out into the open air and then check on them every couple of months. That's not the way that these types of tests and trials would have taken place. Tom O'Neill, author of the book Chaos, very famously talked about how the CIA was fascinated with the concept of um, drugs like LSD or even psilocybin or any type of psychedelics. They wanted to find out why is it that somebody will trip on LSD and have a mystical spiritual experience where somebody else will trip on LSD and okay, I mean, their brain's fried on drugs, but then they're going to go back to normal. And why is that? Like, why are certain people experiencing this and why are people not experiencing this? And there's this theory out there that um, MK Ultra was behind the Tate-LaBianca murders as well as the murder of Lee Harvey Oswald and, in turn, the murder of JFK, the assassination of President Kennedy. And it's all just the CIA doing these very terrible things. I do not downplay it for a second. The CIA does some horrible, horrible actions. They commit horrible, horrible offenses. But were they actually involved with this type of mind control operation and they're monitoring people on LSD and they want to see how people respond to psychedelic drugs? Brian Davis completely argued against that, saying that's not how a clinical trial is done. That's not how any type of observational trial is done. And this is what I really wanted your response to. I'm going to read it in the section down below, so please put it. He told a story of how his friend was offered $2,500 to um, be a test subject for a nasal spray. So they went to Baltimore, Maryland, and Brian Davis waited in a hotel for two days for 48 hours because he's not with his friend. Where's his friend? Under constant observation. He is at their facility, and he's not allowed to leave because they can't just put somebody into uncontrolled conditions and expect them to come back in 48 hours. I mean, people would either take the money and run and disappear, or they just simply wouldn't show up. They just would get distracted by something else and they wouldn't come back. That is not how these types of observational trials would operate. So, so you might think that that is the lamest way to ever downplay the MK Ultra experiments that they were doing with LSD. But I totally see where Brian Davis is coming from, this idea that, okay, somebody like Charles Manson was a CIA informant. That is something that is heavily discussed in the book Chaos by Tom O'Neill. And by informant, they mean someone who is used to gather information. And more or less, I think the, um, the interpretation of the evidence against that is just that the CIA would not be using Charles Manson for any type of um, informant-related duties related to the 
study of drugs or LSD because they were not under control conditions, meaning Manson and his family, the the family. And uh, Charles Manson actually said once in the in, in an interview, the reason why his quote-unquote cult is called The Family is there never was a cult. The name of their musical act was The Family Chams, and everybody who lived at the Spawn Ranch and um, all the women and the other guys who were around Charles Manson all participated in a musical act called The Family Jams. I don't know if that is true or not. I mean, Charles Manson did famously say that he never lied to us, but he also seems to be like somebody who is full of himself just a touch, uh, just a tad, just a little bit there. But, um, I mean, he is dead and gone now all the same. An example of how people would have conducted experiments with LSD under control conditions would be the sleep room. It's a um, it's the story of Donald Ewan Cameron, who was a Scottish-American doctor who was uh, living in Canada at the time, but got CIA funding to do experiments with people on LSD. And much as uh, Brian Davis said, they were just thrown out into the open, or you didn't just give people LSD and then check up on them on three months or six months and see how they responded to it. They were patients in mental hospitals who weren't allowed to leave, and the experiments um, that Donald Ewan Cameron participated in were giving people large doses of LSD and forcing them to listen to audio recordings on repeat. And the um, if you ever get a chance to watch the miniseries The Sleep Room, very, very well done. It's um, almost like two different movies that are stitched together. The first half of the miniseries is about uh, Donald Ewan Cameron, and the second half is about um, the victims' rights advocates, and they're trying to get some type of uh, clarity, apology, um, recognition that these experiments happened from the CIA doing experiments on people with LSD in Canada, nonetheless. But the reason why it happened is Donald Ewan Cameron wanted to break the mold, and he actually wanted to do something that would have altered the inside-the-box thinking of psychiatry. It begins by saying there's this 33% rule in psychiatry, like one-third, one-third, one-third. One-third of patients get better, one-third get worse, and one-third stay the same. Psychiatry is all smoke and mirrors. And he actually wanted to get out of that type of uh, hamster wheel of psychiatric thinking and do something different. The problem is, though, his own egotistical ambitions got um, the better of him and worse for many of his patients because the results were catastrophic. And when it comes to um, outlets such as psychologists and psychiatrists, this is going to go in a very different direction. I was listening to an episode of The Rational Mail today that was talking all about how people respond to things like depression and suicide and how the media talk often downplays motivating factors for suicide. And this is one stance where I will absolutely disagree with that show and the host, Rolo Tomasi, who said something to the effect of, they don't often show how some other person could be the catalyst for someone else's suicide. Like, say, for example, if someone's in a relationship and there's a cheating partner, whether it's the wife has an affair or the husband has an affair, and then the other person is, commits suicide because of that, then the media often downplays the role of that cheating partner in the relationship that would drive somebody to that type of behavior. And I think, though, that I just have to agree with what somebody else wrote. I think it was actually in a common thread on Facebook when somebody said, 
there is never a reason to commit suicide out of depression or because of depression rather. Yeah, of course you have things like euthanasia, but that's not what the guy was talking about. He said there's never a reason to commit suicide because of depression. There are so many resources out there that are available to help people. But when people are struggling with mental health issues, they don't always understand exactly how those resources are going to work. And here's another point, though, that people also simply um, – well, this is on the side of the psychiatrists and the psychologists. They have this obsession that your life has to get worse before it gets better. And I was just listening to um, a program that was talking a lot about psychology, and I don't even remember where it was. I wish I did because I really wanted to talk about this because it was saying that Sigmund Freud, very famous psychologist, right? Psychologist, neurologist, psychiatrist, all of that. He was, I mean, perhaps most famous for his quotes about sexuality and aggression and parents, like that whole thing. You want to have sex with your mother and kill your father, or some people actually want to have sex with their father and kill their mother. There's one parent you want to kill and one parent you want to fuck, right? And the Oedipus complex and... I'm sure that you know exactly what I'm talking about. When people think of Sigmund Freud, they think about sex, aggression, and relationships between a parent and a child. But the show that I was listening to, and I wish I could remember where it was, it was saying that Sigmund Freud was actually very much involved with will-breaking. And I think a lot of that is also heavily downplayed in um, the uh, media because that talks more about how well, they just don't want to reveal their playbook. Psychologists and psychiatrists do not want to reveal their playbook because then people would know how to manipulate around the system. But I've come to the conclusion that psychiatry has nothing to do with well-being. Donald, you and Cameron would be an excellent example of that. And what we just heard about Sigmund Freud would also support that, that it's about control. It's about dominance and submission. And this whole thing with talk therapy is about well-being. No, it isn't. I don't think that psychology has anything to do with well-being. I think it's more about surrender. It's about allowing someone else to control your thought process so you don't kill yourself, or in friendlier terms, so that a patient doesn't bring harm to themselves or to other people. That's what it's about. But there's all this thing about you have to break somebody's will completely. And just that even even that concept of breaking a person, it just seems so dehumanizing. And I'll, I don't think I'll ever understand it. If you're at level one, why do you have to go to level zero and start over? I mean, if you're at level one, you can go to level two. And there are numerous ways um, that you can do that, but perhaps I don't want to get in to that right here because I'm going to say some very controversial things, but um, maybe we can talk about that in the future if anyone wants to do like a requested episode or something. But in regards to um, that stuff that was mentioned on the Rational Mail, I mean, the media is not like blaming somebody for being the catalyst that is putting this person's destructive actions in motion. I mean, absolutely, they should not be blamed for that because Exploring the true crime world has really showed us that if somebody is going to find out that their girlfriend is cheating on them and commit suicide, that person has a pre-existing mental condition that uh, should not be um, dealt with like that. And um, that person uh, 
once again, they, there, there already is a mental problem in place that can be dealt with in other ways. And there is something, though, that was discussed in that uh, same episode about how, say, for example, somebody finds out that their husband was cheating on them, their marriage broke up. They find out their wife is cheating on them, their marriage broke up. They can either rebuild or they can uh, end their life. Those are the two decisions. And I also disagree with that type of thinking because if somebody is a capable individual and say, okay, maybe they, their marriage broke up, they lost their house, they lost their home, that is not level zero. No, this whole thing, you can either rebuild or you can um, you can uh, end your life. I mean, like, well, the exact phrase that he used was zeroed out. If you're zeroed out, you can either rebuild or end your life and... That's not level zero. I absolutely disagree with that as well because that is more like being at level one or level two. I mean, how many levels do we have? Numbers go on into infinity. I mean, if you're a capable individual, that's what you would call a setback more or less. Oh, don't I don't mean to downplay the emotional trauma that someone will experience from a divorce or an affair or even an intense breakup. That is all going to be very real, but that does not put a human being to level zero, even though some people might think that it has been created in their mind that way. But about um, cases of suicide, there's often another factor that is... um involved with many teenagers, and that is bullying and how bullying operates. A couple of years ago, I was actually in a hospital waiting room, and I was just picking up a magazine while I was waiting, while I had a family member in the hospital, and we were uh, trying to find out what kind of news was going to be involved. And I read an article about a girl who was bullied to death, being bullied into suicide because of... Um, because she was from Ireland, and I just couldn't believe that. And I actually uh, found um, it again, and it was called Who Failed Phoebe Prince, and this is from Boston Magazine. And I'll just uh, read this article here, and then we can respond to that. But the reason why I wanted to talk about this one was I was just so horrified, both now and then, that anybody would be bullied at all for being Irish because she had grown up in Ireland and moved to the United States. I mean, quite shocking. And this is um, this article is written by Alyssa Giacobi. Superintendent Gus Sayer issued the record message to all students and staff. A feeble attempt at outrunning the South Hadley High School rumor mill on Thursday afternoon, and the date was um, uh, 5-23-2010 when this occurred. On Thursday afternoon of May 23, 2010, we received the heartbreaking news that one of our students, a freshman, died unexpectedly. Her name was Phoebe Prince, and by Friday, the student were organizing a candlelight vigil held at the SHHS softball field. Teenager, bullied to death, were the headlines of the local papers. B.B. Prince, age 15, was suspected of committing suicide because of bullying. During the following days before the increasing presence of news cameras and reporters became something for residents of the Springfield suburb to dread and disavow, several students spoke candidly about bullying almost as if it was a fact of life. A lot of people say stuff anonymously, so you don't even know who is saying it. They can talk over the, uh, the keyboard, but they'll never say it to your face. 
At school the next day, one of the teens who would later become accused of tormenting Phoebe Prince had slammed her head into a locker. They, they call it the Happy Valley. The burbs of Springfield lie in the shadows of Holyoke and the Tom Mountain Rages. The five colleges, Amherst, Hampshire, Smith, UMass Amherst, and Mount Holyoke. South Hadley, home of, of the last, is a resol resolutely middle-class, predominantly white town of 17,000 people. South Hadley is a nice, friendly place to live for most people, but most of the people were born there. South Hadley has also been an enclave for Irish immigrants. Phoebe Prince and her 12-year-old sister Lauren move there from the Irish seaside village of Fanor with their mom, American-born Anne O'Brien Prince. Anne's husband Jeremy, a gardener, stayed behind with the older children, Bridget and Tessa and Simon. It's not clear what prompted the move. Anne and Jeremy wanted to give their daughters a whole different experience in a positive way, says Darby O'Brien, a family friend. And South Hadley is a very comforting community for people who are from Ireland, but that would not be the case for Phoebe Prince at her high school. At first, Phoebe seemed to enjoy being the new girl among a group of teenagers who, who had known each other for most of their lives. She was beautiful, pale, petite, and she had blue eyes. She got popular quits as a friend, Tara Barad of South Hadley. All the guys wanted to talk to Phoebe. Everyone wanted to talk to her. Phoebe went with her new friends to football games, and she listened to techno music and joked about how everyone in Ireland smells like cabbage. <laughs> Sorry, that is funny, though. I mean, I know this is going to be a tragic story, but it uh, sounds like Phoebe had a good sense of humor. Phoebe had an opinion on everything. She was one of the smartest people I've ever met, says friend Katie Gingras. She thought the United States was one of the best places to live, but she missed her friends in Ireland, too. A couple of months into the fall semester, Phoebe began a brief relationship with Sean Mulvihill, a senior who captained the football team and was a local sports legacy. And this is what prompted a lot of the bullying, actually. It'll go on for a while, but it says, that's when the name-calling began, according to the authorities. She was repeatedly bullied by, with names such as Stupid Bitch, Irish Slut, Irish Whore, Ho fucking ho, close your legs, you Irish cunt. And um, these uh, names were thrown around a lot. And ultimately, this would lead to Phoebe's suicide. Now, as you can see, that being Irish isn't the sole motivation for bullying. It's jealousy. This is all about how we're talking about underlying motives. There are pre-existing issues. And in this case, I think there's a very big difference with how Phoebe would have been um, experiencing this compared to, say, what I said about the um, husband has the affair or the wife has an affair and that drives somebody else to suicide. Because in this particular instance, I believe that the original mental instability is actually from the bullies. They're the ones who have the pre-existing mental issues and they're exporting their negativity outward onto somebody because... I mean, it started because of jealousy involving a relationship. So says this article here. I mean, you're never going to get the full story. But, I mean, wherever there's smoke, there is often fire unless there's dry ice involved. So it appears that there there really is a lot of, um, a lot of smoke in this particular instance. So, I mean, firstly, rest in peace to Phoebe Prince. But it goes to show you that not everything in life is clear-cut. I don't entertain any of this black-and-white fallacy stuff that 
And what actually happened to Phoebe Prince is that she ended up committing her suicide, taking her own life by hanging, and then her body was shipped back to Ireland. This is in 2010. But I also think that there is a another very large difference between um, the person who commits suicide after learning that there has been an affair or that there has been some cheating in a relationship. And there's this lack of aggression, as you heard about how people were being physical toward Phoebe Prince. She is um, getting her head smashed against a locker. And they're also um, doing direct actions to antagonize her. Whereas with most people, I mean, most people who are having affairs are trying to keep it a secret. That's why it's an affair. Otherwise, it would be somewhat of an open marriage, polyamorous relationship. And that can bother people, and that can take its toll on people. And um, while it is a fictional film that has some true events that inspired it, the movie Boogie Nights details about how that could drive somebody to um, experience a lot of emotional despair if they're involved in some type of polyamorous relationship or that the the husband of a porn star experiences a lot of that in the film. That's just the minor storyline of the movie that doesn't have anything to do with Mark Wahlberg or anything. So I definitely can see how there can be emotional grief and despair from both of these issues, but instead I think that um, they, they operate in a very different way. One thing that is almost never talked about with bullies is that they have a very high sense of social awareness. And I did a couple episodes about this on Black Box Online Radio, especially if you go back to 2019 and you find some of the old Black Box recordings that have those pink bubbles that are floating all about, just like pure podcast. But um, this talks about the forgotten side of bullying as well as what causes evil in society. And this relates to how children who are bullies have a high sense of social awareness because that's how they get away with it. They commit these actions when no one is there to interrupt them. Whereas someone like, I mean, I don't know about you guys, when I was growing up, I had no sense of social awareness. Even as an adult, I have no sense of social awareness. I have no idea like what's going on or about how I often say things in casual conversation that I think are acceptable, but they people just get really shocked by this. I'm not a very socially aware person. Maybe you can tell from uh, talking about true crime and serial killers a lot about how that's affected my brain. But children who are bullies, and I was definitely on the opposite side of that. I was definitely on the receiving end of that stuff growing up. But the children who are bullies do it when no one's around. They do it when they can get away with it. That is how it is able to continue. That's how they were able to continue these types of destructive behaviors. But I was um, listening to a show that I think it may have been the first degree, but I'm not sure which one, where they said, we are all children. Like this whole thing, oh, they're just being kids and we're going to grow out of it. No, we are all children. They're not going to grow out of that phase. And the um, therapist turned YouTuber, Daniel Mackler, even talks about this when he says, you can tell somebody's personality by the age of four. He was actually discussing it with a colleague once, and they said, by the age of nine, you can tell somebody's personality. What kind of person are they going to grow up to be? And uh, Daniel Mackler actually disagreed. He said, by the age of four, childhood trauma can already set in. And these are often childhood traumas that are inherited from somebody's parents. 
because that the mother or the father has not dealt with their own mental issues in them. I guess Mackler would be talking about the conventionally therapeutics uh, setup, but I am, as, you, as I said, not the biggest fan of that. And the reason why I didn't want to talk about it earlier is I think there are many alternatives out there, self-help, spirituality, as well as just mindfulness exercises. I could talk for three hours about different ways to improve mental clarity. I just don't know if anyone would want to listen to that right now during this particular discussion. But if you are into that stuff, please put your idea in the comment section below and share anything you would like to say about it. Okay, though. So about this thing that about how bullies have this heightened sense of social awareness, it's this desire for momentary domination that doesn't go away. And the um, way that somebody acts when they're four can also be a big indicator of how they're going to act when they're 24 or 44. That type of um, dominance and submission relationship that um, that they're just going to lust after, whereas some people are going to desire to spend time by themselves because they um, that's the way they acted when they were four. That's the way that their personalities were shaped and crafted. And there can be life-altering events. Absolutely. Absolutely. But those were exceptions that prove the rule. And um, I said some things about Sigmund Freud for a while, and he would talk about the um, first the oral phase, anal phase, and latency phase. First, like, people seek pleasure. I mean, by the people, I mean babies. And by pleasure, is like the mouth goes to the mother's nipple to get breast milk that's the first phase and the anal phase is when they are like learning how to sit on a toilet as disgusting as that is and then latency ends around i guess ages 9 10 or 11 and that's when during the latency phase children are very mellow and then after that age it goes on to um experience what is known as adolescence and it's absolutely horrible but um there's this meme that was out on Facebook that said, why did I stop being happy after age 11? Well, the reason is because you had to deal with the conflicts of life. And as far as these uh, actions, um, such as bullying, a lot of people report this, whether it's teasing, bullying, harassment, any of these types of things, which does cross over into the true crime world, because if anybody's being physical with somebody, it's not just rough-humored behavior, it's assault. If they're actually doing things like slamming somebody's head into a locker, that can definitely be criminal actions that should be prosecuted much more frequently. But what I've noticed was on an episode of MTV True Life, I think it was My Life in a Wheelchair, or MTV True Life, I'm in a Wheelchair. That's how they structure their episodes. I'm a this, I'm a that. And in the I'm a Wheelchair episode, one guy said that there was a lot of teasing in elementary school and then in junior high. The teasing got so much worse, and then by high school, it all ended. I mean, I had a very similar experience growing up. I don't know what you guys were like, but it was, yes, there's teasing in elementary school, and then in junior high, it gets so much worse. And I wouldn't say that it all went away in high school. It's just that my high school had 2,000 students, so we were divided up very, very intensely, and most of the people in high school classes are trying to get into college or they're just like actually putting effort into their work or even if they're not um then you wouldn't be forced to spend time with them because as i said things things were divided up so regularly but it's very normal to experience these intense types 
of bullying, and a lot of the things that Phoebe Prince seemed to have been experiencing were the result of reputation destruction, even that type of name-calling Irish whore and so on, which um, I don't even like saying it out loud because you really do feel something for her. And this type of reputation destru destruction carries on into the internet. And they did say some other things in the article here from Boston Magazine that I did not read because um, you can sum it up in a nutshell. People were also using the internet to harass her. And there used to be this website called Forum Spring, where you could ask people questions. And it was meant to ask your friends questions anonymously, and then it evolved into Spring Me, and then um, it uh, eventually merged into a dating site, I think called Tuo or something like that. I don't even remember. Not important. But um, Forum Spring, when it came out, was actually mentioned on CNN back when I watched that garbage back in the day. Anderson Cooper did a story on it, how... Almost every case of teen bullying that was discussed on CNN some way, somehow, involved this website called Forum Spring, and it was just that. You could ask your friends questions anonymously, and that people would just start harassing someone because they're under this veil of anonymity. And there's this very destructive element going on, and this is going to sound really, really bizarre, but I was channel surfing one night, and I came across the show Dr. Drew. I don't like Dr. Drew. Um... I, for many reasons, but we don't have to get into that now. And he had somebody on his show who was actually the talk show host, Tom Green. Remember the Tom Green show, Freddie Got Fingered and Road Trip and all that? For some reason, Tom Green was on the Dr. Drew show, and they were talking about this videotape of somebody gets into a fight at the drive-thru in a fast food restaurant and punches through the glass. I'm sure you can visualize that well because there are countless videos of that online. Not only do they punch the glass, they don't stop punching until it breaks. And it really is quite similar to what we're going to discuss. This is all connected. It, Tom Green's comment was, I think that this represents a very dark and violent side of human nature that has always been there, but it is only now because of the media and because of things like video cameras and CCTV surveillance that we are becoming truly aware of it. Not only video cameras and CCTV, but the fact that we can share it on the internet or you can share all that stuff with your smartphone. I mean, I could say something about George Floyd even. I mean, that stuff's filmed on camera phones. They're filmed on smartphones, and then the videos are shared throughout the internet. So for there still is this dark and... Um, violent, and even sadistic element in human nature. And that's bad. That's bad. There's a reason why they have this word progress. You need to progress to something better. Move toward that ideal. Move toward this definition of goodness, whether it's an abstraction of your own mind or you believe that it actually is some type of external spiritual definition of goodness. How, how about betterment? We'll just call it that. There's a reason why people want to actually try and do things like improve well-being because they believe it's a good thing to do. And the way you would do that is by eliminating these types of destructive behaviors, whether it's people who are name-calling because they think there, there aren't going to be consequences, they're cyber-bullying people, they're pushing somebody's head into a locker because the teachers aren't looking, or doing something even more heinous, like kneeling on somebody's neck because they think there will not be consequences. When all of that is put together, then you can see that, okay, people learn from a very early age about 
how they can push boundaries. Because this is all that Freudian stuff as well, that children are going to push boundaries. And they are going to do things at first. They're going to feel things that are pleasurable. And that anal phase about sitting on the toilet, that's why it's called that. But that is really when children try to learn things. And they learn things by, well, by pushing back against rules and pushing back against boundaries. And I mentioned Daniel Mackler, and he talked about that by saying that some uh, people think that that type of behavior is bad. But with young children, they can actually experience and exhibit very healthy behaviors that will make adults dislike them. And it could be something like that. I mentioned once that um, I was a school teacher for about six years, and that was actually in China. I was one of those uh, English teachers, ESL, English as a Second Language. And I was in a kindergarten once, and this uh, two-year-old girl, who was just short of her third birthday, she just picked up a book and smacked me in the face. And then she started laughing, and then I gave her a timeout, and she felt really bad. And that's like the way that the learning phase works. I mean, maybe to someone who is just short of their third birthday, they just think that people are balls of color and light. And then um, they're just trying to push those types of boundaries. But personality really does set in, and people will learn about the world in different ways. And if I didn't give her a timeout, maybe she would continue to do that to people on to her fourth birthday and to her sixth birthday, and then she's going to grow up to become somebody who is going to be a delinquent. By the time she's 14, she's going to be pushing back against other people in ways that are even more destructive. So this is how all of that stuff is related. From a very early age, people learn how to manipulate the system. Some people learn how to um, just simply fight back against the system. By the system, I mean like the organized set of human rules that we have put in place for them. And other people just turn a blind eye to it. That was me growing up. I'm like, I'm kind of lost in my own imagination. And like, you know, I just, I'm not paying attention to anything. And um, we were supposed to do this one performance when I was in the first grade. And then at the end of it, the teacher just grabbed me and pulled me aside and said, you, I don't know what you're doing out there. I'm like, I can tell you what I was doing. I was thinking about pizza. <laughs> I was like, I really like pizza when the cheese gets all bubbly and the I mean, you see, you know, pizza coming out of the oven. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember the first grade very well. That's what I was doing. But um, I said that I knew some ways about uh, dealing with mental clarity. And I learned this. Well, I'm not going to say his name because he's a controversial figure. But he said, any time you get lost in your imagination, that's bad. And he's not talking about childhood imagination where kids are thinking about slaying dragons or something like that. Instead, he's more like, Anytime you get lost in your imagination thinking about daily life to provide context, that's bad. You should not be doing it because it's, um, well, it's not in the presence of reality, more or less, or it's not in the presence of the reality of the external world to provide some filling words. So with all of these things that take place, whether it's the Zodiac Killer, Charles Manson, or these cases of bullying, there's this very destructive um, set of behaviors that people can learn from an early age. And some people learn how to hide their destructive tendencies because of a heightened sense of social awareness. And then other people, perhaps like the Zodiac Killer, continue to experience this um, things and 
reached a breaking point. We don't know who the Zodiac was, unidentified serial killer, but it's possible that he um, had a lot of reservations, like the person who gets bullied and doesn't fight back, the person who has people do rude things to him, and he doesn't do anything about it. And then at one point in life, he decided that he was going to retaliate against society in a destructive way. That's using the sense of social awareness when he's like, hey, wait a second, this is how people are observing themselves. This is when they're not paying attention. I'm going to retaliate in this very destructive way by murdering people, and I'm going to murder people and not get caught. But it's the same process. It's the same process. It's um, unhealed childhood traumas that um, are partnered with uh, delusions of self-grandeur, or just that ability to manipulate the system. You think, I'm going to do something very destructive, and I'm not going to get caught. And it's like, I don't want to improve my life, I want to destroy somebody else's, that whole thing about, I mean, like, when people are faced with the decisions, I'm going to rebuild, or I'm going to end my life. Many people choose a third option, and it's like, I'm going to create a destructive situation for somebody else, I'm going to destroy something that somebody else loves, I'm going to destroy someone that somebody else loves. So I absolutely reject all of those comments that I just said from that show, The Rational Male. I do love it, I mean, I listen to it all the time, but, um, I mean, sometimes you're going to encounter comments from a host that you're going to disagree with. What do you have to say about any of the material that has been discussed here? And free downloads of this program are now available at Launchpad 1. There's a link to that in the description box. You can also download the video version by using YouTube Premium, but the Launchpad 1 is completely free. And there is a Teespring page for the show, and anybody can check out that and visit some of the uh, merchandise pages. Remember, being weird is not a crime. There's also a shirt that says Black Box Online Radio. Great way to support the channel is just purchasing a t-shirt. Tell your friends and family about it. Wear it out in Walmart or something. And be like, hey, everybody, there's a Teespring page for Black Box Online Radio. Come one, come all. If you want. I'm not going to tell you not to do that, but um, as you like. Okay, and then you can also follow the show on Facebook. My personal Facebook is in the description box. There's also a page called Black Box Online Radio. And, of course, there is BlackBoxNid88 on Instagram, where you can get that bonus podcast that I'm always talking about. And I will see you over there, BlackBoxNid88 on Instagram, for the bonus podcast. Until next time.